Well, do then have uh, Luke chapter 7 in front of you, if you will, page 1036. And actually on page 1037, have a look at verse 48, where Jesus said to this woman uh, in this dinner party, your sins are forgiven. Shocking, isn't it? Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven you. Of course, on the one hand, it's exactly what we expect Jesus to say. But realise who he said this to, and it shocks most people to their boots. Jesus said these words to a prostitute. And people hate that about Jesus. Now, just shortly after I was ordained, I was explaining this to a couple who wanted to have their newborn baby baptised. I explained that because of Jesus' death, we could have a completely fresh start with Jesus. And then one of them said this to me, are you saying that no matter how bad a person has been, they can be forgiven and go to heaven? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's terrific news, isn't it? No, they said. No, I cannot accept that. What about the murderer and the terrorist? Surely you're not telling me that they can be forgiven. And they might just as easily have added, and what about the adulterer and the prostitute? See, people get really upset when they hear this message and for all sorts of reasons. People hate it because they've seen it so abused. I I remember a a colleague telling me some time ago how one man had been put off Christianity because when he was away on business, his colleagues went from the mass to the brothel and he explained, I didn't go to the brothel with them and I didn't care to go to church with them either. Now, of course, when I say that anyone can be forgiven, if you think I'm saying you can be forgiven, so just go and do whatever you like, then of course you won't like it. And that isn't the point at all. Now, that is one of three misunderstandings this incredible event clears up for us. Let's begin with the first huge misconception about Jesus' forgiveness. Firstly, I'm too bad to be forgiven. A young lass said exactly that to me a few years ago. I can't can't come to God, I'm too bad, she said. Well, take a closer look at this passage. It all begins very normally, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus out to dinner with a Pharisee, a, a religious leader of the day. Nothing spectacular about that until into this dinner party crashes a most unwelcome visitor. Verse 37, when a woman who'd lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she bought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. Now be under no illusions, this woman who gate crashed the party was a prostitute, known by all in the town, And devastatingly so, for too many families, too many men of the town knew her only too well. After dark, you'd find her standing on the curb, dressed to kill. Well, well, dressed to seduce, actually. That's who walked into this dinner party. And for us to be as shocked as we should be, we really must lose the image of the happy hooker. The picture portrayed by, by Hollywood films like Pretty Woman. In this film, the the prostitute is attractive and warm-hearted, a sympathetic, stable character. Please lose that image as we read Luke chapter 7. We need to get streetwise. Picture here in this event, standing behind Jesus, a woman with caked makeup, 
cheap jewellery, an unstable personality, and if you can bear the detail, the syphilitic sores, her arms scarred from the constant use of, of banned substances, and the haunting fear of AIDS written all over her face. I guess she was a hardened, cynical, toughened character, although I'm sure she was broken inside. Life had knocked her back again and again and respectable men had used her and abused her again and again. Now if we can get that picture in our mind, we may begin to feel the shock, the embarrassment, the complete outrage of this scene. When this woman walked in, while this was no longer an ordinary dinner party. And it goes from bad to worse. Look at verse 38. She stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And Jesus let her do all that. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Imagine the, 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 the reaction in the room. The embarrassed silent, the, the silence, the, the other guests tut-tutting. Can you imagine how the Pharisee felt that invited Jesus in the first place? His dinner party had been ruined. Here was Jesus allowing her to, to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. Allowing a prostitute to wash your feet in the middle of your coco van. It's enough to make anybody choke on their prawn cocktail. It's just too much for some people, isn't it? Surely you're not saying the murderer and the terrorist and the prostitute can come to Jesus. That I cannot accept. But you see, that is exactly what happens here. This woman was accepted by Jesus, forgiven by him as we read in verse 48. Your sins are forgiven. Makes some people very angry. But it's wonderful good news for others. It's such good news for people who think I'm too bad to be forgiven. No, you're not. If this woman can be forgiven. Now look, for all I know, uh, there may well be someone here who's sold their body for sex in the past, or, or maybe still does. There will be here who've had sexual encounters of which they're terribly ashamed, those who've used a prostitute, those ensnared by pornography, perhaps on the net, on the net some in same-sex relationships, others caught up in an adulterous affair, those encounters will have left their mark. Sexual sin does that, doesn't it? Now that, incidentally, is why God is against it. Why is it against the wrong use of sex? Don't get me wrong, he is very pro-sex, he invented it, but the wrong use of sex, well, it screws people up. And because God is so kind and because he loves this woman, he hates the way he, she's hurt herself. And because God is so kind and because he loves people, he hates it when other people's lives are wrecked. Sexual sin does that. It's the unwanted pregnancy, the abortion, uh, the guilt, or, or just the emptiness of having made something that is so special so cheap. And even if you've done none of those things, there are the fantasies, the imagined sex or rape. Listen, whatever it is, whether it's sexual or not, come to Jesus and you'll discover there's nothing too bad that cannot be forgiven. And forgiveness is a wonderful thing to know. 
Now, in this uh, film, Pretty Woman, there is a, a striking example of what can happen if we don't realise that we can be forgiven. Edward Lewis, uh, played by Richard Gere, uh, asks Vivian Ward, Julia Roberts, why she became a prostitute when she could be so much more and do so much more with her life. And she says this, If people put you down enough, you start to believe it. He tells her, I think you're a very bright, very special woman, to which she replies, the bad stuff is easier to believe. Have you ever noticed that? The bad stuff is easier to believe. Have you ever noticed that? Well, some of you will have noticed that. And your life is ruined by it. You've done some bad stuff and now the bad stuff is easier to believe. Well, look, as you look at this passage, whatever you've been told in the past, whatever you've been told about yourself, whatever you've been told about Jesus, the good news is that anyone can come to Jesus and have the the past wiped clean, have a completely fresh start. Isn't that wonderful? The first misunderstanding about God's grace, about God himself, I'm too bad to be forgiven. The second misunderstanding is the opposite. I don't need to be forgiven. I'm a nice person. I'm good enough for God. And that is uh, how most people think. That was how Peter was saying he thought before he became a Christian. That's how the Pharisee thought. Let's pick the story up again in verse 39. See, when the Pharisee who'd invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. See, for the Pharisee, this whole affair called Jesus' credentials into question. More than one or two families in the town had been torn apart by this woman's handiwork. One of the most disturbing experiences of my life was to visit a family just after the husband had admitted to an adulterous affair. Still remember, as I walked into the house, the pain of the wife and the daughter was tangible. They were distraught with a a combination of disgust and disappointment. Well, well, look, marriages had broken up after men had been lured to this woman's bedroom, spilling their lust under the seductive red light of her boudoir. So, of course, the Pharisee was surprised. If Jesus is a prophet, how can he allow this woman to touch him? I mean, God is pro-family, isn't he? This woman had floated, flouted God's law. He didn't have to be brain of Britain or, or intellect of Israel to know who this woman was. And so for the Pharisee, this incident, this incident called Jesus' credentials into question. But look, before you and I come to the same conclusion, just read the next three ver- words in verse 40. Jesus answered him. Is that astonishing? I don't know whether you notice, when we were reading verse 39, the Pharisee hadn't uttered a word. Verse 39 was all going on in his head. You see verse 39, he said to himself, and verse 40, Jesus answered him. Now that really is a shock. Jesus knows what we're thinking. What a shock for the Pharisee, thinking these thoughts, and then Jesus answered him. One minute concluding that Jesus couldn't possibly be a prophet, the next minute realising he was very much more. The Pharisee thought, and Jesus answered him. 
And that is a very scary thought. Do you see what this means? Jesus knows the deepest thoughts of our hearts. He knows what makes us tick. He knows the motives that drive us. He knows the thoughts of envy and greed and malice. He knows when we've wanted something bad to happen to somebody else because they've done something bad to us. He's seen us lust after someone else's spouse. He knows what we think. He knows what we think of him. Now this is very scary and it's very personal. Because when it's my thought life that's being listened to, I am in very deep water. Oh, you see, I can put on a good show, I can look very respectable, this respectable veneer, but what I think, that really shows who I am. And in here, in my head, in my thoughts, here I discover what I'm really like. Now, you see, that's why at this point, this story gets very personal. Until this point, the Pharisees remain nameless. He's just been the Pharisee, one of the Pharisees who invites Jesus to his home. Now we learn his name. It's getting personal, you see. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, look, I don't know whether you're like me. Whenever I go on holiday, I always find it hard to, uh, to do the currency exchange. You know, what was it? What was the exchange rate? I can never work it out. Now, I don't know whether you're any, any good with denarii or anything, but if, if, if you're a bit slow like I am, let me help you. I've had a whole week to work it out. Let me put it into British currency and see how you answer. 50 denarii is about a month and a half's wages. So, verse 41, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him £40,000, the other £4,000. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's not a difficult question, is it? And Simon the Pharisee got it right. Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, said Jesus. Straight to the top of the class, Simon. Well done. You've done your maths. You've worked it out. But again, what is very striking about this verse is Simon's reluctance to answer in verse 43. I suppose, he says. You see, we're getting personal now. And Simon knew it. Jesus is not suddenly and out of the blue deciding to pursue a career as a financial consultant. He's not changed from prophet to banker. No, this little story is leading somewhere and Simon knew it. See, when Jesus told a story about two people, up to this point, apart from Jesus, there's only been two people mentioned at this dinner party. Simon the Pharisee and the prostitute. This is personal. And Simon got the point, hence his reluctance to answer. Simon, two people owed a debt. Simon, you're one of them. Simon, your spiritual bank balance is not in great shape, you know. Simon, you're a debtor. Simon, you're a sinner. It's getting personal, isn't it? See, Simon was a very religious and very respectable man. He's one of the Pharisees. Yet Jesus says, Simon, you're a sinner. Oh, your debt may not be as bad as the prostitute, but you're a spiritual debtor all the same. And we can bet our bottom dollar that if Jesus said that to Simon, 
He says it to every one of us here this morning. But it's very unpopular to talk this way, isn't it? To talk of of sin. Uh, The Sunday Times magazine, some years back now, uh, made this very point of how we don't talk of sin anymore. Said this, uh, people don't avoid sin anymore. They avoid being found out. A spot of adultery is okay as long as nobody gets hurt. Eating yourself stupid is fine as long as your stomach doesn't get fat and your face doesn't turn permanent brick red. And some sins aren't even wrong. Anger? Anger? Well, that's just good, just letting off steam. Envy? Envy gives you the urge to get on in life. Sins don't really exist as a serious idea in modern life. At best, they are a delicious tease. It's quite amazing to read it in the Sunday Times magazine, but it's spot on, isn't it? Sin doesn't really exist as a serious thought in modern life. So we don't see ourselves as sinners, just like the, uh, the Pharisee. He was a good person, respectable person. Uh, we do what the Sunday Times says. We can excuse our sin. It didn't hurt anybody. It's letting off steam. It's... And we don't see ourselves as sinners because, well, because just like Simon we can always point to someone else who's worse than us or to a group of people who are worse than us. Uh, Some years ago I read uh, uh, this uh, autobiography by Peter Lorimer. He used to play for Leeds United. Peter Lorimer, Leeds and Scotland hero is the title. He played for Leeds United in their heyday, not when they were scraping a draw with Luton Town as they did yesterday, but in the late 60s and 70s when they were all conquering all. Peter Lorimer had the fastest shot in football, 70 miles an hour, if I remember rightly. Hundreds of schoolboys wanted to be like Peter Lorimer. I wanted to be like Peter Lorimer. Let me assure you, all those latent schoolboy desires in me disappeared as I read this book. It's not a great read, even for an ardent Leeds United fan like me. But I don't like this book at all because Lorimer is so full of himself. And because he's so full of himself, he does exactly what the Sunday Times magazine says we all do. He justifies his sin. See, Peter Lorimer is unfaithful to his wife, Gillian. He's prepared to write about it in a book. Listen how he justifies his actions. The way I look at things is that I only have one life and I'm going to live it the way I want to. I've probably done that without consideration and respect for the people around me, but I've never done it with any malice. See, can you hear Lorimer justifying his actions, justifying his adultery? He can walk away from his wife and children for another woman because he only has one life to live and it's his to live and he never set out to hurt anyone. What did he think was going to happen when he started on this adulterous affair? It was never going to hurt anybody. Do you hear yourself doing the same thing? Maybe not with adultery, but justifying your selfishness. And one of the ways we excel at justifying our sin is to find someone who's worse than us. And that's what Simon the Pharisee did with the prostitute and it's what Peter Lorimer does in his book. See, despite the selfishness of his life, just listen to the way he describes one of his teammates, Billy Bremner. What mattered most in life to Billy Bremner was Billy Bremner and his welfare. He was totally self-centred. He writes similarly in a few, a few pages later. His whole focus in the game and life itself was Billy, very self-centred. Well, talk about the pot calling the kettle black. 
Do you see what he's doing? Peter Lorimer makes his selfishness look more acceptable by finding someone who in his eyes is more selfish. And honestly, we all do it. We all do it, don't we? So I have lost count for the times people have said to me, I'm not a bad person. I'm not like Fred West or Harold Shipman or Ian Huntley. Or... But that's not the issue, is it? Peter Lorimer is not as selfish as Billy Bremner. But that's not the issue. Simon the Pharisee is not as bad as the prostitute. But that's not the issue. I'm not as bad as the rogue trader or the cowboy builder or the child molester. But that's not the issue. There may be people worse than me, but I'm still in Jesus' debt. That's the issue. I am up to my spiritual neck in debt. Debt that I cannot pay. And that is why Jesus told this little story in verses 41 and 42 of two people who owed debt, one who owed £40,000, another owed £4,000, and neither could pay. And he told it to show Simon that he was in debt. A debt that he could not pay. See, all the while that I'm comparing myself to someone else, I can justify myself. And the Sunday Times magazine is right. Sin doesn't really exist as a serious thought in modern life. But please do not be fooled. God is as bothered about sin today as he ever was. And it really does matter. A sinner is not someone who's just let themselves down or hurt others or rejected society's norms. Now, a sinner is someone who's rejecting God and God's law. And the reason it really matters is one day you and I are going to come face to face with the living God. It's no good hiding behind our religion or respectability. That will do us no good on that day. Indeed, I think it's very dangerous to hide behind religion and respectability. Do that and we will never turn to Jesus for forgiveness, which is what we all need. Well, that's Simon the Pharisee. Yes, there are people who feel they've been too bad to be forgiven. Well, look at the, uh, look at the woman in this story and know you can be forgiven. But far more people think that they're so good they don't need forgiveness. Jesus says, don't be fooled. Respectable people are up to their necks in spiritual debt and one day... The debt is going to be called in. That's why it matters. See, right at the end of this story, in verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Being at peace with God, it's a wonderful thing. That's what Simon didn't have. The first misunderstanding, I'm too bad to be forgiven. The second is the opposite. I don't need to be forgiven. I'm good enough for God. Finally, the third mistake. Do whatever you like because you can be forgiven. See, the actions of this prostitute blow that misconception firmly out of the water. Now look at verse 44. Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I love that. From the moment the prostitute had walked into Simon's dinner party, Simon had been doing all he could not to look at the woman. Did he see her? Of course he'd seen her. What is Jesus saying? Do you see her? Do you really see what she's like? Do you see what she's done, he says? Verse 44. He turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman has not, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is saying here, she has demonstrated her love for me. Her extravagant, thankful, heartfelt love. And you see, she loved him because she knew what it was to be forgiven by him. Because it turns out, you see, this woman had met Jesus before. Before this story. The verse 48, in our version it reads, your sins are forgiven. But in the original, it's not your sins are forgiven now at this moment, but rather your sins have been forgiven at some time in the recent past. Yeah, she'd already met Jesus. And that meeting had changed her life, it had changed everything. That's why she burst into this dinner party. She'd met Jesus before, the slate had been wiped clean, the debt had been cancelled. And now she was so bowled over by his love that she wanted to love him back. Never mind that her actions toward Jesus were a scandal to everyone else. Never mind that others were embarrassed by her extravagant actions of love. Jesus had given her forgiveness and she was overwhelmed by that. And of course, it didn't enter her mind to go back to prostitution. She'd been forgiven and having been forgiven, she wouldn't go back to it any more than someone who'd been dragged from a swirling river would go and jump back into it. The point is this, when you're forgiven by Jesus, you will love Jesus. That's verse 47, isn't it? Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven loves little. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Because for Jesus to offer forgiveness cost him everything. See, just a few years after this incident, Jesus died on a cross. Luke tells us about it later on in his Gospel. As Jesus died, he said, it is finished. In the original, it's just one word, tetelestai, it is finished. It means it is paid. The debt has been cancelled, paid. Jesus died on the cross to pay our spiritual debt. We owe a debt that we we don't have the means to pay, so Jesus paid for us. It's as if he took out a a checkbook and he wrote out a cheque for our debt. The debt that we can't pay, he paid for it. Except it wasn't just writing out a cheque, was it? It cost him his life. This cheque was signed in blood. So the price is paid, tetelestai. That's why he could say to this woman, you're forgiven. So you see, as we understand the story of the Lord Jesus, we understand forgiveness is free, but it isn't cheap. And anyone who understands that can't just carry on as they always did. That's why going from the the mass to the brothel is not Christianity. Let me ask you, do you know this forgiveness? And how do you know if you do? Well, very simply, you'll love Jesus. And nothing will be too much trouble for you to do for him. You'll you'll do anything for him, go anywhere for him. If you know this forgiveness, your life will be turned upside down for good forever. 
I wonder if that's ever happened to you. See, knowing forgiveness is a wonderful thing. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if there aren't uh, one or two people here today who are saying, you know, I really do want to know that. Yeah, I realise that, uh, that I'm not right with God, that I haven't made my peace with him. I do want to know how I can be forgiven. Well, Andrew's already mentioned the, the Christianity Explored course. Uh, do uh, look out for these uh, leaflets. Uh, they're dotted around the place here and over in the church centre. It begins on the 5th of February. This would be a great course to go to if you want to be sure to know how to be forgiven. And uh, my colleague Ed Pennington and others will be there uh, to welcome you, uh, to talk you through these things. It's a chance to ask any question at all. Another thing you could do is uh, take one of these booklets from me. I'll be standing at the door on the, uh, as you leave uh, after the service and just grab one of those. That'll tell you more about how you can be sure you can be forgiven. In fact, what I'll do is I'll pop an invitation card inside and as you take it from me, uh, you'll have both an invitation to Christianity Explored and a little booklet that tells you some more. Well, look, thanks very much for listening. Uh, we're going to uh, sing again. And we're going to sing of this amazing love, the love that means that we can be forgiven. Uh, we'll be singing of love divine or love's excelling. We'll be singing these words, take away the love of sing it, sinning. Because as I turn to the Lord Jesus, so that's what happens. I don't want to sin against him anymore.